0: Turn over to John 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. This is red letter. Jesus said, greater works than I do, will you do. And we know Jesus did some pretty awesome works, didn't he? And he said, you're going to do greater. And we know that could be greater in quantity. And we know that that's already happened, that we're doing greater in quantity because Jesus was just one man. And now there's men and women all throughout the earth doing the works of Jesus. We know it also could mean the new birth because Jesus never got anybody born again. Hallelujah. And the greatest work that's ever done in a man's life is being born again. No matter what God does in your life, the greatest work he ever did was took your spirit, annihilated the old man, and made a new creation. Hallelujah. So that could be that. But then again, I think we would be remiss if we didn't say that it would have to include all the works that Jesus did because he, you know, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the leper. And so greater works than he did, we do. And I don't think we've even seen the full picture of that yet, but we're walking into it. And this has to be fulfilled before that trump sounds and we rise to meet him in the air. We're going to see some marvelous things. Hallelujah. We've got a marvelous future ahead of us. Hey, you had not seen nothing yet. We get real excited about doing the works of Jesus and greater works. Don't we get excited about that? But I don't think people, Christians, get as excited about this side of it. But, folks, we're not just supposed to do the works of Jesus. We're supposed to be like Jesus. That means we're supposed to live like Jesus. That's going to take some change on our part, isn't it? Hallelujah. We're supposed to love like Jesus loved. We're supposed to treat people like Jesus treated them. We're supposed to live a life of holiness like Jesus did. See, it's more than just doing the works of Jesus, we're supposed to be like Jesus. He's the master, He's the model. Jesus is our model. We're supposed to be like him, not just in his works, but in his lifestyle, in his life, in his living. I don't know about you, but I already realize I've got to do some growing, some changing, some progressing, progress. We have to make progress. We have to make progress spiritually. And it's not enough to progress a little every year or so. But we've got to make spiritual progress every day. By the time we come back Wednesday, we have to have made progress. By next Sunday, we have to be different than we are. This Sunday, we have to progress. We have to determine to do some things. We can't wait for Jesus to make us walk in love. We just have to decide, fun or not fun, feel good or not feel good, I'm going to walk in love. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to forgive whether I want to, whether I don't. I'm going to treat people right whether I want to or whether I don't because your flesh is never going to want to. Hallelujah! Your flesh is always going to want revenge. Your flesh is always going to want to get back. Women, your flesh is always going to want to have the last word at home. How many of you know all women want to have the last word? Hallelujah. pastor's smart. But it's true. But You know, there is just no way to grow except to grow. To determine, I know I'm not going to be always good at this and I'm I'm not always going to do it right, but bless God, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to work at being Christ-like. I'm going to change. I'm going to work at this thing. And by God's grace and God's help, I'll progress and I'll get better at it. That's why when Paul said in Philippians 3.14, he said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is the high calling, the love walk. And I press towards it. And you know, press, there's the connotation in that of, man, I'm having to work at this. This is not just coming easy. But it's not going to be easy to walk in love in marriage. Corinthians says, when you get married, you're going to have trouble. I mean, that's what it says. Paul said, it's better to stay single because when you get married, you have trouble in marriage. Why? It's not easy not to put self first. It's not easy to put another person first. Don't get married if you don't want to put somebody else first. If you don't want to put somebody else first, if you don't want to put her needs above your needs, don't get married, guys. And women, if you don't want to put his needs above your desires and wishes, don't get married. Better to stay single, Paul said. Better to be like me. And the trouble you have is with your flesh. He said in the flesh you'll have trouble. These things have to be worked at. They have to be worked at. They have to be worked at. They have to be worked at every day. You going into God and calling on the Holy Spirit to be your helper and to help you, Lord, help me to be the wife I'm supposed to be. Help me to be the husband that I'm supposed to be. Holy Ghost, help me. Help me. Help me to submit. Help me to not answer back. Help me. And then go into God and repent when you didn't do it. So just a continual process. Husband, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. As husbands and wives, we get in a vicious circle. Because a man's greatest need is to be respected. And a woman's greatest need is to be loved. A wife. I want to be loved. He wants to be respected. And so we get in this little circle. The devil will kind of throw something in there every once in a while. He throws something in there. And all of a sudden, I snap at him. And all of a sudden, he doesn't feel respected. And so he says something back to me. And all of a sudden, I don't feel loved. And so I go at him again. And so we're in a vicious circle. It won't stop until somebody just gets spiritual enough to say, whoa, let's stop this thing. Ever since I discovered that little scenario of that little circle, it's a little devil circle. It's a little devil circle that husbands and wives get into. And I've watched it in our own marriage. Every time, I'm telling on every time I do something that is kind of lack of respect, then he does something that makes me feel like he don't love me. And so somebody has to be spiritual and jump out of the circle and say, whoa, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Praise God, hallelujah. Let's stop, you know. we got to realize it's the devil and it's his little circle. And he wants us to stay in it. But sometimes husbands and wives get in it and they stay in it for years. They just stay in it for years where he doesn't feel respected and she do not feel loved. Praise God. So we have to press all the time. In every part of our marriages, we're having to press towards the mark of being Christ-like, press towards the mark of walking in love. In our church, we have to press all the time. We have to make progress. We have to grow spiritually. We have to grow. You have to grow between now and next Sunday. You've got to know something before next Sunday that you don't know right now in the Word of God. And so Paul said, I press, I make progress, I move forward, I keep moving forward. It's so imperative that you keep moving forward. In 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 3, it's a story about four lepers. And so there's four lepers outside the gate, and there's an encampment of Syrians a little ways from them, not too far. They've got food and provisions, and they've actually cut off the supply to Israel. And these four lepers are sitting outside the gate, and we're going to get a principle from this, but they say something that's really something you always ought to remember, and it's in 2 Kings 7 verse 3. They say, why sit we here until we die? And there's a spiritual principle in that. And the principle is this, that anytime you just sit or park it, you die. If you put it in park in your Christian life, you are going to die. You don't just get to stay the same. When you park, you die. And that's why denominational churches, they parked and they died. So if you park spiritually, you're going to die. In Exodus 23, 30, another principle I want you to have. In this account... The children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. And the promised land was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was called Canaan. And it had Canaanites in it. And Hivites and Hittites. and So it had these people that were heathen peoples and wasn't good at all. But in verse 29, God tells the children of Israel, He said, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. So what He's saying is, I'm not going to take all the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Hittites and all. I'm not going to take them out all at once, although I could, because they're serving a purpose. They're keeping the wild beasts from coming in and just taking over the land. And so he said in verse 30, By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. Until thou be increased and inherit the land. And that is a spiritual principle right there, that we must increase... In order to inherit. If we want to inherit the promises of God, many times we have to increase before we can inherit. For instance, we know we believe in prosperity. And I know that God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have the best. How many believe God wants you to have the best? How many believe he wants you living in the best house in town? I believe that, but I'll tell you, God couldn't give you the best house in town right now because you need to increase to inherit because then you'd have to pay the insurance on it. And you probably couldn't. You probably couldn't pay the light bill. The best house in town requires some upkeep, requires some maintenance, and you'd have to put that... Garage sale furniture in that best house in town. You need to increase so that you can inherit. Would you all believe that? The same with a luxury car. It costs more to drive a luxury car. First of all, the insurance is more. Secondly, if you ever have to take that thing to the shop, they take a piece out of you. They do. If you have to put tires on a luxury car, so you have to increase in order to inherit Hallelujah. And so we've got to make progress even in order to financially go where God wants us to go. To be as blessed as he wants us to be, we have to increase. And the same concerning health and healing. We've got to increase in order to inherit. We've got to progress in our spiritual lives. You have to make progress. I've just gotten more determined over this weekend. Man, I am pressing in to progress. You know what? We're going to have to get our Bibles out. If we're going to progress before next Sunday, right. we're going to have to have our Bibles out this week. Right. Right. Hallelujah. Praise God. So say, I'm getting, I'm getting my, Bible my Bible out. Hallelujah. We ain't just going to lay it on the coffee table either. Hallelujah. Y'all know about that. 2 Kings three. we have another story about a widow woman who was in personal famine. And the Bible says, all she had left in the world was a little oil, and the prophet of God came to her, and he said, "Go gather vessels, not a few." See, she had to go increase her vessels in order to inherit the miracle flow of oil that was coming. The minute the last vessel was full, it stopped. You know, when she saw the next to the last vessel starting to get full, she should have run barred some more. She should have progressed. It's all about progressing. Hallelujah. You must progress. You have to get bigger so you can hold more. So that you can do more. You know, this may surprise you, but Jesus progressed. See, sometimes we think, well, man, he was just, he hit the earth. And as soon as he started walking, he was... You know, we read, well, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. We sang that this morning. We know the book of Hebrews says that. And that's talking about his principles, his word. It never changes. The way he does things, it never changes. But Jesus progressed. He changed. He grew. Luke 2.52 says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And so we know he he progressed. He got wiser, grew wiser. He didn't start out as wise as he ended up. You can be wiser by Sunday. Hallelujah. By Wednesday. By Wednesday. You can be wiser. He progressed in ministry. Sometimes we think we're going to raise the dead. But I want to tell you something. When it comes time to raise our baby up or our child up, we better have progressed. Listen to me. We better have made some progress. We better have done something to get further along. Because if we don't, when we're confronted with a situation, we won't be able to do it. We'll believe in healing and not be able to get it done. Because Jesus progressed, first of all, he moved in the natural. The first thing he did was turn water in the wine. That's natural realm stuff. He started out in the natural. The next thing, he stilled the waves. And then he walked on the water. He didn't walk on the water until he first had stilled the waves. You know, we've been progressing in some natural realm stuff. We've been speaking to tornadoes and hurricanes and making some progress in getting some stuff done. I think we did better on Dennis than we did on Ivan. Hallelujah. We've been making some progress. We've been progressing with natural things. And then, after Jesus worked in the natural realm things, the first person he healed was Peter's mother-in-law. That was the first person he healed, and it says she had a fever. That's where he started in healing, with was with a fever. The next thing we see him heal is blind eyes. And then... He progressed. The next thing is something a little more hard. Leprosy. Why is leprosy harder than blind eyes? I'll tell you why it's harder. It's not harder to God. But why is it harder for us? The reason it's harder for us is because when you go to ministering healing, you have to get to the point where you're not moved by what you see. And leprosy is a very visual thing, very debilitating. I mean, if somebody walks in with leprosy, we're all going to go, oh! and then they walk up to the front And that's one of the rules of ministry, is not being moved by what you see. Because if you're moved by what you see, you won't be able to get them healed. And so Jesus progressed from the fever to the blind eyes, which was just a healing. Healing is just a restoration of what's already there. And then he moved to leprosy. The disease just left their body. And then one man, one of the lepers returned, and we see Jesus step into another realm. There's a progression here, and it was creative. Something got into the creative realm, and we're not sure exactly all that happened, but many times leprosy eats off your fingers, toes, so forth, your nose, eats off your nose, your ears. The Bible doesn't say specifically, but it indicates this man got some further restoration, and so we see him getting into a creative side. And the very next miracle after that is that Jesus, a total creative miracle, he healed blind eyes, but this man didn't have eyeballs. It took more than just healing. He had to make mud eyeballs for him and he progressed and then concerning death and his authority over death the first person he raised from the dead was Jairus' daughter and Jairus' daughter was only dead a few minutes because Jairus came to Jesus and he said my daughter lies at the point of death and then on the way to the house to heal her the woman with the issue of blood got in the way and caused it to be delayed and by the time he got there she had been dead a few minutes He raised her from the dead. And then the next one he raised from the dead was the young man from Nain, and he was being carried in a coffin. His mother, you know, was weeping or mourning him beside him, and he had been dead several hours. And then the next person he raised from the dead was Lazarus, who had been dead several days. Jesus progressed. He showed forth greater and greater authority. The further along he went, he began to show greater and greater authority. See, we think we're going to jump right to raising somebody from the dead. Bless God, we better be able to get a tornado off our house first. You better be able to get the fever gone. We need to progress. We progress. Our faith moves and then God moves and answers our faith. And then our faith moves and then God moves and answers our faith. And we go, the Bible says, from faith to faith and from glory to glory. That's actually two scriptures. But we're going to have to go from faith to faith. We're progressing in our authority. Now, we have full authority, but in the exercising of it, we need to make some progress. We need to progress. God started us out on the animal kingdom. You know, we started out praying for the dog and stuff. I started out with gophers. I prayed gophers out of my yard. I did. I used my authority on gophers. That's where I started. We started out getting bugs, getting the bugs off our cotton in West Texas. That's where we started getting them bugs off that cotton so we didn't have to spray that year and spend all those thousands of dollars spraying that cotton crop. We have Christian parents who go to church, in churches that believe in healing, but because they haven't pressed to grow, to progress, they get confronted with bad situations and they can't do one frazzling thing about it. And then the world says, see, God doesn't do those things. But they didn't progress. And we need to make sure we do because it's real easy to stop. It's real easy to park. God gave me some enemies of spiritual progress. I'm going to give them to you tonight. Things are going to keep us from progressing that we just need to deal with. We need to get rid of them. It's like I said, there's not any easy way. I can't bring you up here and wave a wand over you and get rid of some of this stuff. Some of you, you're just going to have to gut it out. My number one, disappointment. That was so right this morning that when people get disappointed, they park. Many times they park. That's going to impede your spiritual progress, and we've got to get over disappointment. We've got to forgive ourselves, forgive others. You no, know, we just got to believe God, that He's big enough, God, that He saw the future, He saw ahead of us, and He knew where we was going to miss it. He knew if we was going to have a failed marriage or whatever it is that's causing us to be disappointed, and He's got plan B. Thank Hallelujah. Thank God for plan B, plan C, plan D, and plan E. And when he gets to Z, he just starts over with double A, double B, double C, double D. You know, you can mess it up a lot of ways, but you can't mess it up where God can't make a plan to make you have a victorious life. The only thing that's going to keep you from having a victorious life is to stop. As long as you'll keep going. And sometimes it's just sludging through. You just got to keep going. Your body will fight you. Your physical body will fight you from progressing. It's hard to progress when you're sick or have symptoms. Let's just say it that way. You have symptoms, but you've got to just keep on. Our emotions fight us. We get up in the morning. Have you ever not felt like praying? Well, you've got to do something to say, the devil's not going to stop me with feelings. I'm going to find some way to progress today. I may just have to go get a tape. That may, well, all I can do is get a tape and listen to a tape. I may have to get my word. I may have to, I don't know, but I've got to find some way to push forward today. Amen. The second thing that can stop your progress is to quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, quench not the Spirit. Every dead and dying denomination, what happened was the people started quenching the Spirit. I heard somebody say the other day, the Methodists are going to have to answer to John Wesley. John Wesley healed everybody that got in his path. Hallelujah. And he got that whole thing started, and they're going to have to answer to him. Well, they just started quenching the Spirit, church by church. And that's why sometimes you'll find a church every once in a while in some of these nominations that is kind of a going church. Sometimes they'll only go so far. I know there's a a church in our state that's a denominational church that's been pretty lively, but I noticed the pastor's leaving. After 14 years, he's leaving. If I was guessing, that church, they wouldn't let him go no further. That's just as far as we're going, Pastor We wouldn't want to get out there too far. Why else would he go on? If the church is going, why would you move? No reason, no reason, no reason. So quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Hallelujah. We need to make sure in church we don't quench the Spirit. And it's so easy to quench the Spirit. The third thing that stops spiritual progress, especially in our individual lives, is fear. Joshua 1, 6. I will just read this to you. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Be strong and of good courage. Verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all thy law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the left hand or the right hand, that thou mayest prosper wherever thou goest. Then verse 9. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Fear is going to stop you if you let it. Fear of failure will stop Spirit. Fear of missing it, well, I don't want to miss God. I'm not being afraid of missing God. You're going to have to take some risks. I'd rather miss God trying to hit God and doing something than to miss Him completely putting it in park and being dead. Wouldn't you? You would say, I want to prophesy. You'll never prophesy if you don't just get over fear of missing God. I'd like to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to help people when I'm out in the grocery store. You'll have to get over the fear of missing it. Hallelujah. I'd like to preach where well, you will have to get over the fear of missing it. Because, you know, it's not all glory up here. I've gone home many a time with the groanies, I call them, the groanies. That's when you groan all night because you think you missed it. You know, and, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I love it when I go all night, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, God, why did I say that? And then three weeks later, somebody comes up and said, Miss Debbie, I'm so glad you said that because this, 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 this. It's like, oh, and, you know, the devil will help you whip you. You're going to have to get over, afraid you're going to miss it. You won't make progress. There's lots of people stuck. You say, will you go teach children's church? Well, I'm not sure God wants me to. I'm just not sure God wants me to. It'd be better to make progress and miss it. You'd learn something. There's people that are supposed to move to Tuscaloosa County that we know of, and they're so afraid of missing it. They're stuck. They're not growing. They're not progressing spiritually. They're stuck just because, you know, it might be tough over here. You might miss it did you know most stuff that you're so afraid of missing it on is not irreparable if you miss it with good intentions and a good heart and god knows your heart god knows your heart and he knows you were trying he'll going to help you get out of whatever you missed it in and fear of change you know there's four personality styles they say 75 percent of the world is the one that don't like change And so people are stuck in no-account jobs because they're afraid of change. When God wants to prosper them, He can't because they won't change because they're afraid. Opportunities, we tie the windows of heaven open and opportunities come. Doors of opportunity, doors come. We don't take them. Why? Afraid of change. Afraid of missing it. Afraid of change. And so the opportunity comes to be a millionaire. Didn't take it. All of us in this room that get to heaven and we're not millionaires, God's going to say it's because thus, 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 you didn't. It's all going to be missed opportunities. It's not going to be sin. It's not going to be you didn't give enough. It's not going to be that. Everybody in this room is already tithing and most of this church is tithers. Going to have to take a risk. Fear is never God. It's never God. It's never God's way of leading us. Hallelujah. It is never God's way of leading us. Never. Never. Say never, 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 never. Never. Number four, that impedes spiritual progress. Arguments, now I'm not talking about arguments between husbands and wife, although that could impede spiritual progress too, but that's not what I'm talking about here. (laughs) Because strife does impede spiritual progress. With strife, there's every evil work pastor and I, when we first learned to read the Bible, which was 1980, when we were Baptists, we didn't read the Bible. Honest, I'm telling you, honest, we did not read the Bible. We carried it. We carried it to church. We carried it back. We were the leaders in the church. I mean, I was the assistant Sunday school superintendent, and he was the men's. And I'm sure he read it a little for his Sunday school lesson, a little. And I never read the Bible, but I carried it back and forth my Bible was pristine, it was kind of wore out on that side, it was pristine on the inside not one thing was marked, I knew one scripture, John 3 16, I had that one down all those years of Sunday school I knew about Daniel on the Lion's Den I knew David and Goliath, I knew all the stories but I knew one scripture, all those years of Sunday school, and I'm 28 years old and I know one scripture, no I'm 27 I'm 27 when I get baptized in the Holy Ghost and I know one scripture for God so loved the world And I was saved on it. I was good and saved too. I was real saved. I really was. I did not doubt my salvation. I knew I was saved. When we finally read the Bible, we read about strife in James. We got a fear of strife. I mean, godly fear of like, we ain't going there. I have a strong personality. He has a strong personality. We come from kind of different cultures. It's sort of the same because we live in West Texas, and and so there's similarities to our culture, but he was raised totally different than I was. I'm spoiled. I'm a bonely child. He wasn't spoiled at all. He wasn't. He wasn't spoiled. He wasn't spoiled by his parents, but I was spoiled by mine. But we have this healthy fear of if we get into strife, it's going to open the door for the devil. You ought to be afraid of that. Because it is a wide open door for him to bring sickness, disease, disaster, tragedy. That didn't mean we didn't get there into strife, but that meant we were always getting out of it quick. Repenting to each other and repenting to God. And we finally got to the point, I mean, it took some progress, it took some growth, where we don't hardly ever get into strife anymore. I mean, it could happen, but it doesn't like it used to. You know, it used to happen... Several times a day we're repenting and, you know, hallelujah. We're clashing somehow. And we're more mature. We usually just shut up. One of us will just shut up. And we repent and everything, but we don't want to get into strife. So we've covered that part. Let's to a different part about arguments. But churches that get into strife, dear Lord in heaven, we ought to hate it. We want to treat people with love, but if they insist on being in strife, we ought to be rude to them in this church. We hadn't had any. It's the supernatural. As far as I can tell, we hadn't had any since 2001. People that the Holy Spirit, he just swept them out. He removes the burden and destroys the yoke. they were a burden that he removed them. And so since 2001, we hadn't even seen strife. But I tell you, with this move of the Holy Ghost, we better guard against it. Because he's going to try to throw things. And there's been a couple of little incidences where he's tried to start strife in the nursery, but I just didn't commend y'all for stopping it. There's been a couple of times when somebody got a little anxious about something. But praise God, y'all have done a good job, and we need to continue to. Be on the alert about it, though. I've been on the alert about it, because I know he don't like a move of the Holy Ghost. He don't like progress. So arguments, these are things that the devil throws into our minds where we debate in our mind. And sometimes we can even start debating with each other, but mostly it's in our minds. And one of the debates that comes up in a move of the Holy Spirit like this, that'll come into your mind to keep you from progressing, let's get back on the subject, to keep you from progressing is, was that spirit or was that flesh? And we start debating in our mind. And somebody comes up here and does something, we go, was that the spirit or was that their flesh? And that'll stop, that'll grieve the spirit. It'll quench the spirit and it'll keep you from progressing. And then you may even get over there like, well, I don't want it to be my flesh now, so I'm not going to do anything because it might be my flesh. Well, not doing anything is flesh. Putting it in park in that pew is flesh. That's flesh. And, of course, we do need to judge ourselves. You know, the devil, you know, you hear these words in your mind, you go, that wasn't God. Have you ever heard those words? That wasn't God. Let me tell you, when you hear the words... That wasn't God. It's never God talking to you because he doesn't talk like that. You know, at our house, we live alone, and we'll still do this. We live by ourselves. Me and Pastor, one of us will say, who left the back door open? I'll say to him, who left the back door open? Well, I know who left it open because I didn't, and there ain't nobody else there. But even then, sometimes he won't own up to it, and we have to lay it off onto Jazzy. You know, (laughs) that's the dog. If he says, who left the back door open? And I say, it wasn't Debbie. I don't answer him like that. It wasn't Debbie. No, I'd say it wasn't me. And God doesn't say, that isn't God. He might say, that's not me. But he wouldn't say, that's not God. Hallelujah. So when you hear those words, you know that your flesh or the devil done gone talking to you. Sometimes you've been listening to a sermon and you said, that's not God in your mind. That's not God. Yeah, that was the devil telling you that wasn't God so he could keep you from doing it. Amen. But here's what the Holy Spirit told me about whether it's flesh or whether it's spirit. And this will be good for us to judge ourselves with this. I think it'll make you feel good. He told me, he said, anytime you step out in faith, it's never flesh. It's never flesh when you step out in faith. It is never flesh. I mean, when you say, bless God, I know I'm healed, so I'm running around this room. It's never flesh. Bless God, I'm going to run around this room till poverty breaks off of me. That's faith. That's a step of faith. That is never flesh. You know what? Anytime you're responding to God. In other words, you just were praising and you're excited about what God's done. You're excited about what God's done. And you respond by running, jumping, dancing, shouting, hollering, whooping. It's never flesh when you respond to God. See, the flesh don't to respond to God. Anytime you obey the promptings of God, anytime you have a little prompting inside, and promptings for me, I don't know how they come for other people, but they come like this. I'd like to run. I have that little thought. I'd like to run. A lot of times it's followed by, yeah, but, yeah, but, and, you know, you could hurt yourself. You know, back in our less spiritual days when we were pastoring, one time we had this party at the church. And we played this game. And we was in a big circle. And it was men, women, teenagers, kids, and everything. And you'd sit in a chair. And there was one chair short of what you needed. And somebody would call out, everybody with earrings on, change places. And people would jump up. And the one left without a chair. And then you took one more chair out. But, oh, I remember. Oh, I tell you, my theory is don't ever play games anymore with teenage boys. Because I tell you what, we did that, and I jumped up and run, and some big old oversized, overgrown halfback, fullback, I don't know who plays what, clobbered me. I mean, I tell you, that kid clobbered me. And I wanted to clobber him, too. Because big old boys don't know their strength, and they don't have sense enough to watch where they're going and watch out for old ladies. Now I wasn't even all that old when I was about 30 or 35, and it hurt. Boy, it's like, you know, I run, and I think, don't get in Paul's way. (laughs) No, I know you wouldn't do that, but, you know, I'm just saying, if you're big, it's kind of get out of his way. Just all sorts of things fight your mind. Well, you know your leg. You could re-injure that leg. And you know, you know that's what your mind starts talking. But anytime you have a prompting, it's never flesh. I want to tell you something. Promptings are not loud and do it, do it, do it, do it. In fact, the more you grow in God, the littler and littler and littler and littler the promptings get. Till you get to the point you barely thought it, you barely, it was so slight you hardly could have even noticed it. When you first are filled with the spirit and God wants you to give a message in tongues your heart pounds you could hardly keep from giving a message in tongues because it's like God nearly takes you over but the more you grow in God those little promptings y'all are getting more mature in God but it's going to be slight these promptings and it's never flesh flesh is when you do things to be seen Now, we need to talk about this because we're in a move of the Holy Ghost. Flesh is when you do things to be seen of other people. That's when everybody's running or several people are running or everybody's running is more likely and you go, well, I don't want to, but I don't want them to say I'm not spiritual, so I'm going to run. Now, that's flesh. You don't need to not run. You need to change how you're thinking. When we do things to be seen, to be seen of men. Let's talk about this balance in this. Because we're moving in the Holy Ghost and we're coming into other things and, and things will be happening in church. And uh, sometimes the ushers are like, do I stop that or do I not stop it? Will that grieve the Holy Ghost or will that not grieve? You know?" And they're really wanting to get it right. And I tell you how to know when something's not God. When we're singing along and the anointing's here, you know the anointing's here, and all of a sudden it leaves somebody's done something that wasn't God. Well, you know what? Here's how you're supposed to handle that. When any time the anointing leaves the service, the pastor's supposed to come to the podium and take over and bring it back. That's what's supposed to happen. So don't worry about calling attention. Hey, you're going to get our attention. You're going to get our attention if you're dancing in the Holy Ghost up here. But that don't mean it's not God. That little boy, he got our attention this morning. But you know what? The anointing didn't leave. It didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. Kids love the anointing. And he wanted to get up here in it. He didn't know why. He didn't know why. And his mother didn't want to come after him. I don't blame her. I wouldn't either. Like, whose kid is that? (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. But that didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. Nothing stopped moving. In fact, I tell you what, it blessed me. Because I realized he wasn't inhibited, he wasn't religious, he didn't care what any of y'all thought. I love that, don't you? So we're not going to quench the Spirit, we're not going to be inhibited. There's things that can quench the Spirit. People talking and stuff, sometimes that will quench the Spirit, and that's when the ushers need to stop it. Well, I had a couple of more. We'll save those for another time. Things that keep us from progressing, but, oh, let's just keep it flowing. And if something gets out of order, well, Pastor will just straighten it all up. Some things just get a little bit out of order. It's not even worth calling attention to to straighten it up. If something gets way out of order, he'll take care of it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. But we need to flow. Praise the Lord.